once again, I want to say a happy Mother's Day to those of you who are mothers, and uh, I also know this is a difficult day uh, for some of us uh, that have struggled uh, to have kids ourselves or whose moms have passed away recently. These brings up memories uh, that are, are fond and, and joyful, uh, but difficult also. And so this morning, I want to come together in the midst of the joy and the sorrow of a morning like this, and uh, let's pray to our God. Father, this morning we come, uh, all of us, with uh, a sense that uh, you bring life through the moms who are in our lives. And God, I I thank you for the moms that have brought each one of us into existence, God. You're the one behind all of that, and we thank you for the life that we have. We also know on a morning like this, God, that this is a morning where grief is present as well. And so God, in the midst of uh, the joy and the sorrow, in the midst of that meeting place, God, I pray you would speak again this morning with life. I pray that you would point us toward the abundant life that your son Jesus brought us to. That our identity is not in any career or any position that we hold in this life, but it is in your son Jesus, being your children created in your image. This morning, God, I pray you'd pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts. And it's in the name of Jesus that we all pray. And everyone said, Amen. Um, well, somewhere growing up, I got this crazy idea that when Jesus gave his messages and his sermons, that he was trying to see clarity as one of the main purposes of those messages. And I don't believe that any longer. Uh, in fact, the, the parables, I, I thought these are just like preachers' illustrations. They're supposed to clarify the points that have been made before. But I don't believe that anymore either. If you pay any attention to the story of Jesus and the message he brings and the parables that he shares, they sometimes don't make any sense at all. In fact, that's part of the reason he tells them. If you have your Bibles this morning, open with me to the book of Matthew, where Jesus describes the reason for his parables. And it's a little different than I imagined as I learned these parables growing up. Matthew 13, beginning in verse 9. He's just told the parable of the sower, about the seeds and so forth, and the soils. And this is what he says. Whoever has ears, let them hear. And the disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? And he replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Those seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, then they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. This is the confusion about these parables, these stories Jesus tells. I thought he told them so that he would clarify his point, but what he says is, no, no, no. I tell these stories. So that those with ears to hear would hear them. So that those without ears to hear wouldn't be able to hear the message that I bring. Not exactly uh, preaching class 101 that I went to. 
But it's what Jesus does. This morning, I want to invite you to put your detective hat on with me, if you would. We're going to spend some time, a lot of time, and a lot of Scripture this morning. So I want to orient you a little bit to the message. The first uh, and place you'd put your bookmark, the, the main passage this morning, comes from the book of John, John chapter 3. Uh, so I'd love for you to, to keep your finger there throughout the morning. I'm also going to spend a little bit of time in Genesis 1 and in John chapter 1. Uh, so Genesis 1, John 1, but John 3 would be the main place uh, that I'd encourage you to open your Bibles to this morning. But I want to invite you to put that detective hat on and to wade deeply in with me to John chapter 3. And as we talked about, Jesus comes and, and, and offers a message to those with ears to hear. So I pray that all of our ears would be open this morning to hear this message. This is John 3. I want to begin reading in verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. And Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You're Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? So as the detectives on this search for understanding this morning, I want to invite you into my process that I've been a part of this week. I've been asking questions of this text. And these are some of the questions that I've been asking. Maybe you'll ask them with me this morning. The first is this. Who is this Nicodemus character? What's his background? Who is he? And And what's he here for? Number two, why does John mention the detail about him coming at night? seems to be an odd detail to offer, but it's there. Uh, The third question, why does Jesus seem so testy in his response to this guy who seems to come with genuine desire to to understand more about Jesus? What is it about Jesus' response? It seems odd to me. Number four, what is this born-again business? And number five, must I be reborn? And I hope that last one is a question that isn't just the preacher asking, it's all of us this morning. So those are the questions I've been asking. I know we could probably add more this morning. It's an odd text in some ways. What do you say? You up for investigating with me these questions this morning? Let's start with the first one. Who is this Nicodemus? And John 3.1 tells us a little bit about him. Let me read again. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. We find out in verse 1 who Nicodemus is, a little bit about him. He's a, he's a Pharisee, and if you're paying any attention to the Gospels, this doesn't exactly cast him in the best light, does it? We tend to have this very negative view of Pharisees, that Pharisees are enemies of Jesus, commonly seen, at least in the Gospels. But something seems different about this Nicodemus character to me than the other Pharisees. He seems to be more open, perhaps, to understanding than the others. In fact, this morning, I want to just ask your permission to call him Nick, this morning, it'll save me about 135 syllables in my message, okay? Nick, Nicodemus, that's who I'm talking about. 
the more I've looked into Nick's story, the more I am drawn to Nick. I, I like Nick. I picture Nick as a religious leader uh, with a robe on, with framed degrees on the wall, with shelves made of mahogany. Very distinguished character is how I imagine him. I like Nick because he seems like a man of infectious confidence. Listen again to what he says in chapter verse 2 when he comes to Jesus. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. He knows, and not only that, he speaks for the rest of us. Not just I know, he says we know who you are, Jesus. Makes you wonder who he's speaking for. That's the kind of teacher I want to follow, though. We know this is the case. I like Nick. He's unlike the caricature of the Pharisees we read in the rest of the Gospels. He seems open to new understanding. He seems open to what God might be doing and bringing into his life. He's even willing to go to Jesus at night, which begs that second question. At night, what is this business about at night? Lots of ink has been spilled about this question. One of the offerings is that perhaps he comes at night because he's afraid of the repercussions about what the other Pharisees might do if they found out that Jesus was coming. So he goes under cover of night as a way of, of ensuring that no one else sees. Uh, he, 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 he thinks he knows some things about Jesus, but there's still some questions. Uh, there's all kinds of theories out there. But my answers to this whole night question began to uh, be unlocked a little bit this week when I began to look at uh, the beginning of John's gospel, how he opens his gospel. And so turn with me, if you would, to that other chapter I mentioned, to John chapter 1. And and something began to kind of break loose for me as a detective as I was looking at John 1. Let's read verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John opens his gospel with three words that should remind us of another story in Scripture. In the beginning. The Bible begins with those three words, right? Genesis 1.1. In fact, if you'll turn over to that other passage, Genesis 1. Uh, Let's turn there together and read from the beginning of Scripture uh, briefly. This may open up a few more things. Genesis 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. John's drawing on this story, and when he talks about Nick being born again. That word born in the Greek is a word that's ganao, which comes from the same root word as the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Ganao, genesis. What it means is to be born or to bring forth or to make. What John's doing is he's tapping into the creation story as he tells the the good news of this new uh, Jesus, these symbols that we've talked about through this series. It's Jesus who's being born to bring new life into the world. And how does God create? Well, Genesis 1 tells us. He creates in the darkness. It is dark when He creates. And just through the spoken word, let there be light, light begins to emerge into the world. And I want you to remember these details, what Genesis 1, 1 through 3 says. It says that the Spirit was hovering over the waters. That will come back to us in just a little bit. Let's keep reading, though, if you'll go back to John 1 with me again. John 1, let's keep reading in verse 2. This is speaking about Jesus again. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. 
the darkness is not overcoming. You beginning to hear the allusions to Nick's story coming at night? God creates the world from darkness and turns it to light. And when Jesus comes into the world, we see a similar theme emerging. He comes into the darkness and he comes as a great light. And whatever the reason is, ultimately, I, I don't know, but it's clear in John 3 that Nick is in the dark when he comes to Jesus. And that's not just talking about the time of day. He's coming needing some enlightenment about who this Jesus is, and that's the reason he comes. But pay attention to another interesting detail as we read on in John 1. Let's drop down to verse 11. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Listen to that language again, children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. You hear these allusions to Nick's story again, don't you? You must be born again. And in John 1, we're already hearing about this Jesus who's coming into the world, and the invitation is to become children once again, children born of God, not of natural descent. We're not talking about that. Again, we understand because we've read John 1.1, 1, 1, but, but, but Nick, Nick doesn't seem to understand. But that prompts the third question I was asking this week. Why does Jesus have to respond so testy to this guy who comes to give him a compliment? We know who you are. You're a great teacher. But listen again to Jesus' response. Let's start in verse 2 again. This is John 3, verse 2. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Nick seems like a genuine guy to me. And I'm, I'm curious why Jesus has to respond this way. Why he doesn't welcome him more before he offers a response like this? I mean, he, Nick's risking a lot to come to Jesus. And he seems genuinely interested. He, he greets Jesus kindly. And what does Jesus say in response? Hey, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born again. There he goes again. Clarity doesn't seem to be his primary focus. And Nick finds Jesus' statement about as clear as mud. Listen to his response in verse 4. How can someone be born again when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to, to be born. Now, today's Mother's Day, right? Today we celebrate those of you who brought children into the world. This holiday makes so much more sense than our birthday celebrations, let's be honest. I don't know, sometimes we talk about it like it's a hallmark holiday. You know those holidays, Valentine's Day, Mother's Day, and so forth. But I want you to imagine a conversation about someone from another world, a Martian perhaps, who shows up on earth and, and wants to understand this whole birthday celebration thing. I'm just imagining the conversation. Uh, why do you celebrate these birthdays? What's that about? And we say, well, on, on, on the year anniversary of the day we were born, we we celebrate the fact that we were born into this world. And I, I just imagine the Martians saying, well, what, what did you do to deserve presents and, and this cake that you do every year? Well, I was, I was born. Oh, so that must have been a hard, painful exercise, right? What did you do to be born? Well, my, my mom really was the one who did all the work. So, so you make the cake and buy the presents? No, no actually, mom buys the presents and makes the cake. That makes a lot of sense. We call Mother's Day a hallmark holiday, but it makes a whole lot more sense than our birthday celebration. I don't intend to give an anatomy lesson this morning about this whole born-again business, 
No one's looking to re-enter the womb again. And I'm guessing for those of you who are celebrating this morning, you're not going to let your kids back in the womb, right? It's not of interest to us, and that's part of the confusion of Jesus' statement. So what is Jesus talking about? Born again business. It's, it's not fully clear. Remember, clarity isn't Jesus' primary purpose, it doesn't seem, in the Gospels. But in his answer, he refers to spirit and water. An allusion to Genesis 1, perhaps. An allusion to John chapter 1, becoming children of God again, likely so. An allusion to baptism, yeah, I think there's something there probably. But I trust Jesus, regardless what the illusion is, that one birth isn't enough. That we need to be born again. And that's where this passage convicted me this week. See, it's easy to judge the, the Pharisees and guys like Nick. It's natural to read this story and assume we know exactly what it means. We're born first from our mothers, and then we're born again in the waters of baptism. It's clear. I've been taught that interpretation all my life. I've always heard this passage interpreted simply as the need to be baptized. Baptism is the second birth. It's about water. It's about spirit. But the more I spent time with this passage, in fact, this morning I was sitting at Starbucks with this text open again. And I was just walking, listen, watching the people who were walking in the door wondering what their stories were and where they were headed. And I began to think about the need for them to be reborn. But as I thought about that, I also thought about you all. And the opportunities you have each and every day to come across people like these people that are walking into Starbucks. And I'm imagining uh, that they're not going into church, at least the way they were dressed was my guess. Maybe a wrong judgment. And I began to wonder, what does it look like for these people to see Christianity on display? How do they begin to see the story behind these symbols, the good news of Jesus Christ? And I realized, maybe it's not those people who need to be reborn only. Maybe I need to be reborn. Do I need to be reborn? Which is one of those questions I asked earlier. So this morning at this point in the story, I want to invite you to actually take that detective hat off for a moment. I want to invite you to actually be in Nick's shoes for the rest of the morning. I told you before, I like Nick. Nick seems like he's willing to be reborn. And perhaps that's the problem with the Pharisees and religious people in general. Pharisees and religious people like me tend to believe we have all the answers. Here's the problem with assuming you have all the answers. If you have all the answers, that's when growth stops. Because what more is there to learn? When you assume you have all the answers, growth stops its course. When you have all the answers, you become the teacher instead of the student. When you think you have all the answers, you can no longer be reborn. And as the Gospel of John continues, we discover that Jesus uh, does his best to confuse those who think they have all the answers. He wants to, to wake up those with all the answers to begin asking better questions once again. I mean, just go through the Gospel of John with me for a moment. In John chapter 2, he claims he's going to destroy the temple and he'll raise it again in three days. And all those who thought all they had all the answers are now asking a new set of questions. In John 4, he shows up at a well and there's this Samaritan woman and and she's ready to have a theological debate with Jesus about what mountain that they should be worshiping on. And, and Jesus talks about water, and all of a sudden, this woman who wants to have a conversation about answers is now asking new questions. Later in John 4, the disciples urged Jesus to eat something. You remember this story? Jesus said to them, I have food to eat you know nothing about. And all of a sudden, these who think they have all the answers begin asking a whole new set of questions again. 
Turn with me to John 6 briefly. There's a story that's especially like this, this confusing piece of who Jesus seems to be. This is John 6, verse 53. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. And following this conversation that Jesus has, thousands of people who had followed Him looking for miracles, part of the crowd end up deserting Him. Eating flesh and drinking blood, that's just too much, Jesus. We don't know what you're talking about. And you know what I would have done? I would have gone and grabbed them and I would have said, no, you misunderstand what I'm saying. I don't, it doesn't sound like I, what I was saying. Let me clarify for you. But Jesus doesn't clarify for them. He lets them walk off and and then he says to the 12 that have been following with him all along, are you going to leave too? And of course, their response is, where would we go, Jesus? Given everything up to follow you. We have nowhere to go. We're, we're in it like it or not at this point. And the reason I like Nick is because he's one of those who doesn't give up the search. He comes to Jesus at, at night. He's, he's willing to be reborn even though he's a part of the group that acts as if they have all the answers to all the questions. And so we find Nick again in another chapter in John, a couple more chapters in John, and I want to relate those stories to you once more. So follow along with me if you would. This is John 7, verse 45. Let me set up this, this story a little bit. In John 7, Nick shows up on the scene again, and there's been a debate about this Jesus guy. And John lets us in on a conversation in the inner circle of the religious leaders, those like me who seem like they have all the answers to all the questions. And Nick's there. Listen to what happens as they're debating who this Jesus guy is. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? Talking about Jesus. No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. You mean he's deceived you also? The Pharisees retorted. Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees or the Pharisees believed in him? No. But this mob that knows nothing of the law, <laughs> there's a curse on them. Nicodemus, who'd gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he's been doing? They replied, huh, are you a Gentile too? Look into it and you'll find that a prophet doesn't come out of Galilee. Pharisees still have all the answers, don't they? But you see Nick struggling, right? He's been to Jesus earlier. He's been seeking him out. And I think he's got questions in his mind at this point. And in the midst of a group that it seems like they have all the answers, Nick has a question for him. You sure about this? Maybe we should give him another hearing. The reason I like Nick best comes at the end of the story. When Jesus dies on the cross, all of these that have been his followers, they desert him. Peter denies him and Judas betrays him and the others he can't seem to find at the end either. But there are two men at the end of this story that do show up. Uh, so follow with me to Luke chapter 19. This is after the death of Jesus on the cross. John chapter 19. Verse 38. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. Sound familiar? 
With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. And Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. We find out in the Gospel of Luke that this Joseph of Arimathea character is actually on the council with Nicodemus. And I love this story that goes hidden. It's not mentioned in every Gospel. Here are these two that have been a part of this group of Pharisees, this ruling council. They've got questions in their mind rather than answers. And I have to imagine that Nicodemus was quietly trying to figure out, are there others in this group that I could talk to? Sure enough, I just have to imagine that he'd had a conversation with Joseph of Arimathea. I wonder if they talked about this whole second birth business. I'm guessing they might have. I believe that Nick was reborn, don't you? And I want to be born again as well. Because I think rebirth is important when it comes to baptism. I think that's a part of what Jesus is talking about. But I think if we stop with the rebirths after baptism, if we think we've got all the answers rather than asking a new set of questions, we're going to miss out on a process of rebirth that could happen for us over and over again in our lives. Some of you this morning, uh, right now you, you may be wondering like Nicodemus, I'm willing to go to Jesus at night, and I've got some questions, but I just don't know about this whole story. And and this morning may be the morning when God's prompting your heart to take a step in that direction. Because I'll tell you, this whole birth of spirit and water, baptism that we practice, it's something that I would encourage you to be a part of in your life. So maybe this morning is the morning you want to give your life to Jesus. You want to say, I'm not. I'm going to stop asking all these questions and and admit I don't have all the answers, but I want to step into the water. I want to die to my old self and be born again to my new self. 2 Corinthians 5 talks about that. I love the way Paul puts this in this passage about the new life that we've been talking about in this series about life. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All of us have been born once, but there's a time in our lives where we need to be born again. This morning, there's an invitation to you to be reborn if that's your desire. But some of you have been reborn in the baptistry, and and it's time for you to be reborn again as well. And it may look like repentance. Repentance is a kind of rebirth, isn't it? It's a, it's a dying to our sins once again, confessing them and being born to new life again, experiencing the new life in Christ. Maybe that's what you need this morning. Or maybe this morning you, thought, you, you think all of your life you've had all the answers and you realize in a story like this it's dangerous to think you have all the answers. Because part of what it means to be renewed, to have new life, to live into the abundant life is to begin to not just know all the right answers but ask a new set of questions. And so this morning, if if you've come to Scripture dry because it's a thing you think you know and have mastered, I want to invite you again to be mastered by Scripture. Allow the Spirit of God to speak a fresh word because there's all kinds of new ways and things to learn every time I come to Scripture. So 
or maybe it's a pursuit again of this, to be reborn again into this story that used to be so fresh and has become a bit stale. The mystery of God is a mystery of deep waters, and there's so much to learn. We're all on that journey, aren't we? So this morning, I don't know what rebirth might mean. It might mean asking a new set of questions. It may be coming to the text again in fresh ways. It may mean repentance this morning, so that you can die to those things and leave them in the past and walk into the abundant life God has. It may mean baptism this morning. And whatever it might be, we invite you this morning. I invite you to come talk with me and meet with me after service. We'll find time. I invite you to go to our prayer leaders this morning as you leave. Uh, in the back room, feel free. They would love to have a conversation with you about rebirth, whatever that might mean in your lives. Don't leave today without having another birth because God wants to do this to all of us. He's a God of Ganao. He's a God of new creation. He's a God of Genesis. He's a God uh, wanting to birth us all once again. So no, it's not about entering back into the womb, but with Nick, I'd invite you once again. Be reborn this morning. Let's pray as we close our time together. Father, you are the God of new creation. And it's not just what happened in Genesis 1, and it's not just what happened in John 1, and it's not just about the empty tomb. Your Spirit that you have breathed into your people breathes new life every single day. It's available for those who don't have just all the answers but are seeking out the questions they have. So God, this morning, in the midst of our questions, would you meet us there? God, this morning, if if there's some in the crowd that haven't made that decision to be born of water and spirit, to be baptized in your name, I pray this morning they would take that step. God, for those of us who've taken that step and have grown a bit tired, God, help us and remind us, God, that it's, it's entrance into the kingdom that's becoming like children, is what you told us through Jesus. Father, would, 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 you, would you speak to those with ears to hear this morning? Pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.